Hey, I want to welcome everybody this morning, and for those who are on the live stream, which actually worked this hour, it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. We are in Ruth. We've been going through Ruth for the last few weeks, and we're going to keep on going through Ruth for the next few weeks. So I um, want to encourage you to read through that. It's a short little book. You can read it really quickly. And um, um, I came in this morning. So I got here early, so I'll tell you the story Ken was talking about. And I thought, okay, I think we've got everything figured out. I think we got it down. Everything's going to work. And, and sure enough, we had everything, I mean, you know, got everything plugged in. Jay came, and he, and he was doing this for the first time since we'd made the big switch. And, and so, um, which made me feel really good because he knows the other side of it all really well. And, and the stuff that we've always done, and, and he's, he's, he's good for that. And, and then I'm trying to give him a quick, you know, okay, we got this piece added, this piece added, this piece has to do this with this piece, and then we got to add this over here, and, and you know, really quick, and, and got it all going, and everything was going, and it was all fine, and I couldn't figure out why we had no video feed, and finally, you know, the most, the most um, brilliant idea came up, check and make sure it's plugged in. And, and sure enough, the ACMI cable hadn't clicked in, so it came up, and it was there. I'm like, okay, here, I'm going to slide this over just so it'll be easy for you to see, and boom, it disappeared. And that was it. I mean, done. And we tried to figure it out, and it's kind of like, yeah, just go ahead, and we'll figure it out next time around. So we finally got it running this time with uh, um, Jay, and, and he, he got some of the stuff figured out. Shraddha came in, and she's been doing it every week, so she's got a, a better beat on it um, than, than I do. And, and so she's able to get it all, so she and Natalie are back there making it all happen today. So thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know what happens to this up here, but it's just like, it's demon-possessed. That's all I know to say. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, that it, it uh, you know, we need to have something happen for that. But anyway, we have been going through the book of Ruth. Um, I want to encourage you over the next two weeks to bring school supplies for Liberia. Um, Dave and Trudy are going in in January, but the Connex is leaving in three weeks. So we're, they're shipping a Connex of school books. There are going to be schools in Liberia that have never had libraries that are going to have libraries. Um, like 20 years with never a school with no library books for 20 years. We're sending all of our books that are being thrown away here at our school district. They're going over to, uh, <clears throat> to Liberia. So there's going to be a 40-foot connex go with that and some other things. But they need some school supplies. And so, you know, pencils, colored pencils, scissors, rulers, erasers, crayons, all that stuff that goes with that. Um, and... Uh, um, a couple of sewing machines. If we can get a couple of sewing machines, Sylvia wants to take over for some ladies who sew. So anyway, we're going to be a part of that, and, and so that's an opportunity that we have to do that. Um, so in, in the book of Ruth, as we're going in the book of Ruth, let's summarize kind of where we've gone so far. Um, Naomi and Ruth are leaving Moab. So in today's passage, they're leaving Moab. Last week, they were talking about it. Uh, this week, it's happening. So they leave Moab. We don't have any details on the trip. I mean, it's just, you go from, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Done. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? We're in Moab. The famine's happened. Uh, we've gone to Moab. We've had sons. Sons have married. Sons have died. Husbands died. 
um, going back, and, and there's a lot of blank space left in the story. So the book has a whole lot. Um, we don't have any details on the trip. How long did the trip take? We don't know. We don't know how long the trip took. What were their fears? What were the fears that Naomi and Ruth faced? They're traveling a road a good distance, and they're going to go on a road that's, that's frequented by, by people who would rob travelers. Um, so they're unsafe. They have no men with them. They have no protection. Um, what did Ruth um, find out from Naomi about Bethlehem? You know, surely on the, on the trip, she'd say, well, tell me about Bethlehem. Tell me, tell me about it. I mean, they've been together for several years as she's been her daughter-in-law, but, but we don't know, you know. She said, you know, what, what are, how are people going to treat me when I come there? I'm different. Um, I come from a different culture. I'm, I'm a different nationality. How, how, are, how is this going to flesh out in there? What can I expect about um, the, the reception that I will receive from the people? Um, how did they feel about leaving? I mean, did they want to leave? You know, they're leaving out of necessity. Naomi just says, hey, this isn't going well here. There's food over here. I've left one place before. I'm ready to leave another one. But how did she feel about leaving? Did she want to leave? Um, or, or was it just a trip of necessity? Did they visit the graves of their husbands before they left? Did they go one last time to, to the gravesite? I mean, we know that they travel. We know that Ruth is still wearing the clothes of mourning. She's still in mourning. She's still wearing the widow's garments when she arrives in Bethlehem. But, but we just don't really know. We don't have any idea. The narrator of the story, he just skips it and goes on. If it was a movie, you would be parking here for a while. And, and you would be building some things up to, to fold in to the story. But the narrator, he skips it and he takes us right from Ruth's declaration of loyalty to Naomi straight in to Bethlehem in the reception of the people in one quick sentence. And, and I bet that this was a really interesting trip. If you begin to think about what would take place on this, it was a very interesting trip with, with a lot of conversations, but really all, can, all we can do is speculate with what we do know. And, and that's in Ruth 1, verses 19 through 22. It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this is the final chapter, or the final summary of chapter 1, but it's really kind of where the story gets its beginning and where we begin to see all of the things unfold that are going to take place. And, and the first thing I would say in this is, one, God offers new beginnings. God offers us New beginnings. This is what's about to take place for Ruth and Naomi. They're going to have a new beginning as they come in here. And, and it's the introduction of the characters and the circumstances that they face as we come here. So they started out, we know, with a famine. But here they are, they're ending with a harvest. Chapter 1 starts with a famine. It ends in a harvest. And a harvest is a time of great celebration, of great joy, of great anticipation. And, and so they came in and, and they... Um, realize that God has brought a new beginning and now we get to see 
how it all unfolds. So it's easy for us to look at all of this in the past tense. It's easy for us to read the story, four short chapters, you read five minutes, and, and uh, see it all in past tense. But if you looked at it in real time, it had to be extremely painful. You know, we, we see it and we go, oh, that's really sad, but the chapter changes really fast. In real time, this is years and it unfolds. And, and so they go through hardship and, and everything. So, so think about this. Ruth leaves with her family. She leaves with a husband and the security that's found in a husband for a woman in the ancient Near East. She would have to have a husband for security. And she has two sons who, her, who are her future hope. If her husband dies, she has two sons who would be her future hope. And as she goes in, and, and you realize this, if you were putting yourself in the ancient Near East in that time, you would realize that as women, this was a very, very serious situation for them. And then her husband, provider, he dies. And then the hope for the next generation and the hope for her security and her sons, they die. And on the very surface of it all, the picture is really bleak. It's a bleak picture that, that she faces. But now, here she is in, in coming from the bleakness to this time of celebration in Bethlehem. So here she is. She's returning to Bethlehem and, and coming in there. And, and we're seeing that she is going to have this new beginning, that, that she is coming in here and, and seeing something happen um, <clears throat> Years ago, a guy named John Wesley, he was, he was a great, great preacher back in the uh, 19th century. Um, he, he came back and he, he made this statement on his deathbed. He said, best of all, God is with us. God is not only with us, but he is also for us. And if God be with us, who can be against us? He's quoting Romans 8, 31 in, in his own paraphrase. But it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us. And, and so as, as we come in, this is something to understand when we look at this story like this and, and we see the bleakness of it all and we see in the depths of, of despair, we see also that, that we know that God is for us. He's not against us. And even if our circumstances seem to be against us, that we know that God can do all things. So regardless of the circumstances, God's unconditional love for Naomi and Ruth and his grace and mercy are quickly going to become evident. They're going to quickly become evident in the story that um, the circumstances look very bleak, but the grace and mercy of God, they're going to quickly be made evident, evident in some extravagant ways as we look at the story, and we're going to see these things unfold over the next few weeks as we look at it. But today I want to focus on Naomi and I want to focus on Naomi's view of God. As we come in and see that God offers new beginnings, we're going to see, this is, in, as Naomi comes into this beginning, these are her views. This is how she sees God. This is her theology of God or her understanding of God. And some of her, some of her beliefs are rock solid. They're good. You go, absolutely, that's right. Some of them have cracks. Some of them, as we come in, we go, you know, She's not, she's not fully rounded well in her understanding here. So, so um, how she responds in Bethlehem tells us a lot about who she is and, and what she believes. So let's begin with the response of the people. First of all, before we jump right into Naomi, it says that the people were stirred or there was a hum. And, and actually the word used to describe this in, in Hebrew was hum. 
Um, and, and it's kind of like mumble for us, you know, and hum. It's, it's this, you know, there, there's just this, this buzz going on, and, and you can kind of hear it going. And, and so they are stirred by the appearance of Naomi and Ruth. So they know Naomi. Naomi left several years prior. She's been gone for at least 10 years now. She comes back. When Naomi comes back, she comes back a bitter old woman. I mean, it's like, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, that's what the scripture says. And that's what Naomi says. She says, I left. Don't call me pleasant. My name means pleasant. Well, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. I mean, how would you like to go introduce yourself to somebody? Yeah, my name's bitter. You know, I'm bitter. I'm just bitter. And when that is your, your view of yourself, you know what you look like? You look bitter and sour. And, and that's, that's what's happened to her. She has become a bitter old woman. The years have not been good to her. And, and so that is where she is coming back. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. Not only is she bitter, she's bitter with God. God has done this to me. God has made me bitter. So these have been 10 hard years for her and, and it could also be as, as you come in as they were started they were excited to see her not only were they going well what happened to Naomi uh, but but it, it's also that they were excited she left when when Naomi and Elimelech leave with their two sons Machlon and Kilion you know frailty and sickness uh, when when she leaves with those two boys and and her husband um, we see we don't see the whole town of Bethlehem leaving. We just see these two people leave. So these two people leave with their children, and they go, but pretty much everybody else is staying in Bethlehem, and, and they know the scoop. They know that famine is a result of their idolatry and, and that they are facing some things, and they need to turn back to God and get right with God, and, and the skies are going to open up, and the rains are going to come, and there's going to be a harvest like we see here. But, um, and, and that's the book of Judges. You read through the book of Judges, you see that cycle go over and over and over. But um, we don't really have any evidence that other people left during that. The scriptures don't say that, so we're going to assume that they didn't. So here we are with Naomi and a new beginning in Bethlehem. Even in Naomi's current situation, um, God is still for her. God is for her. Um, he still has a hope and a future for her. Even in the midst of, of her turning from him, of, of she and her husband leaving when they weren't supposed to, scripturally, biblically, they, they should have stayed in Bethlehem um, and, and the things that took place. And, and as you come in, you begin to see this, this character of God. He's not the God who just makes us bitter or who's against us. He's a God who's for us. He is a God who loves us, a God who reaches out to us to draw us back to him. In Jeremiah 29, 11, um, in, in Jeremiah, we see that God is saying to the people, he said, hey, you are going off into Babylon. You are in captivity in Babylon. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So you may as well park here. You may as well plant a garden, some fruit trees, have families, grow up here and enjoy the culture and live here and worship me while you're here because this is the way it's going to be. But he says, he says, you're not always going to be exiles. He says, for I know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
So God was saying, your circumstances aren't good, but make the best of them. Because I have plans for you when you turn to me. <clears throat> and, and that's what he told him. So, so today, you know, our, your circumstances, they may not be great. My you know, our circumstances here, they, they may not be great, but God is for us. God is for us in the midst of everything. He is always for us. And, and that is what we see here in the story. We, we're going to see that God is going to do something in the lives of these people. So the first thing is that God offers us new beginnings. The second thing is God is sovereign. He's sovereign. In other words, it means that there is nothing outside of the control of God. God is in control of all things. He is over all things. Naomi states that God has dealt bitterly with me and brought me back empty. Here's what she says. I went away full, in verse 21, I went away full, <coughs> and the Lord, Yahweh, has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she says, God has taken away from me and he has brought calamity upon me. Uh, she's saying God is able to do this. God is, is the God who is sovereign. He can do. She's saying that God is sovereign over all things. And, and she's not talking about food and possessions when she's saying I left full and I came back empty. She's saying this is, he took my family. I mean, he, he did this. And she had a provision and she had a future when she left. And she said God's taken it all away. Everything that I held dear in this life, he has taken away. He has stripped it away. That's a pretty depressing view of God's sovereignty, isn't it? When you think about that, you think, that's a depressing view of the sovereignty of God. And, and it certainly leaves out any room for personal responsibility in all of it. But, uh, but she does hold that God is sovereign. So first of all, Naomi just says God is sovereign. But she has an inadequate view of God's sovereignty. Her, her view of it is wrong. In 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. For Paul, he just said, God is, is the king of all ages. He is immortal. He is invisible. He is the only God. And, and to him belong honor and glory. Um, so it's true. God is sovereign. And nothing happens that he does not allow to happen. Um, <clears throat> but it's a little bit bigger than that. It's actually a whole lot bigger than that. Um, Peter speaks of suffering for doing good. In 1 Peter 3.17, Peter says, For it's better to suffer for doing good, that should be God's will, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter says, sometimes you suffer, and you're doing what God asks you to do. You're doing what God expects of you. You're being obedient to God and you're suffering for being obedient to God. That does not fly in America. That's not our culture. Our culture says, if you do right, you get. You get what you deserve. You earn it. Or we might say um, something like what goes around comes around. Or somebody say, well, you got karma coming to you. Well, that's, that's karma, that's, that's like Hinduism. That's, that's, not, that's not Christianity. That's not God. You don't get what you deserve. That, that's not what the scriptures teach us. They don't teach us that. They teach us that we get something far greater than we deserve. 
God offers us his grace. You see, it's a tough pill to swallow because so much of our culture is built on getting what you deserve, but it doesn't always go that way. For instance, um, there are people today who are worshiping in, and they are worshiping in fear of being caught. They're doing right. They're worshiping God. They're not worshiping the gods of, of the land, but they're in a country where it's illegal to meet together to worship, yet they gather to worship. Why? Because we're commanded to worship. So, you know, there, there are many instances of that, but, um, and there are people who are also evil, and they're doing really well. They're evil people who materially, they prosper, they, they gain great wealth, great power. Um, it, you know, you look on the outside and you go, man, why, why, are, why are they doing so well? They're just so bad. They're just so evil. They take advantage of people. They hurt people. They don't care. But, but they seem to just do better and better and better. Why is that? And, and the psalmist, even in the Psalms, you can read about this, said, you know, I, I looked and I saw that the wicked prosper. And I thought, why? Why? And, and he just goes on and he pours out all of his, all of his just whys. And he says, and then I went into the house of the Lord and I gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. And I realized that I'd rather be here than anywhere else. And so it's just this understanding and this seeing. But, but as we come in and talk about the sovereignty of God, we have to understand God did allow Naomi's suffering. But he wasn't the root of her suffering. The root of her suffering was sin. And, um, and it could have been her sin. It could have been her husband's sin. It could have been anything. I mean, but she's not clean in the whole picture She's accusing God for something that's not God's fault. It's something that goes back to something totally different. And, and the root of all of our suffering really goes back to sin. Sometimes it's ours. Sometimes it's someone else. But we're in a broken world. And bad things happen in a broken world. But God is sovereign. So as we come in, the second thing is that God is all-powerful. Not only is God um, <clears throat> the one who is over all things, he is able to make things happen. Naomi also sees God as all-powerful. says, God brought this calamity on me. He did this. He is the one. And, and so as she comes in and she begins to talk about this, she talks about God being powerful, God being able to do all things. He's able to change our circumstances to accommodate his sovereignty. So as, as we would come in there, her charges against God indicate this. They indicate that he could do all things. God did this. God dealt bitterly with me. God brought me back empty. God testified against me. He judged me. That's what it means to testify. It says God judged me. He judged me. And <clears throat> he brought calamity on me. So as we look at these things, we understand that Naomi, not only does she have uh, a, a, an understanding of the sovereignty of God, she also had an understanding of the omnipotence of God or the powerful, the all-powerful um, attribute of God. In 32.17, Jeremiah 32.17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So as you come in and say, God made everything by the power of his might. And there is nothing that is too difficult for him. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus put it this way. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, 
All things are possible. God can do all things. So this is true. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. But it's unfortunate that Naomi is only seeing God as sovereign and and not also as a God of grace. She's seeing God as all-powerful but lacking mercy. And she's seeing God as a judge who lacks mercy mercy. So sometimes we fail to balance these things out. We look at these things and understand that there's a balance to the sovereignty of God. There's a balance to the power of God. There's a balance to when God judges. And and we fail to see these things, but God has given us the greatest visual that there will ever be for that when we come in and we look at it and we step out and and we see as we read the story of Ruth, we read it um, 3,000 years later after it happened. We read it 2,000 years after the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of the world, and that's the cross, Jesus. And, and we read it through that lens, and, and we see it. So sometimes even we today fail to balance out these truths about God, but God offers us mercy, grace, and compassion. He offers us grace, mercy, and compassion. He's not just a sovereign God. He's not just an all-powerful God. He is also a God of grace, mercy, and compassion. And in this story, we're going to see grace, mercy, and compassion unfold in a beautiful way. You see, this is what the story of Ruth is. It really is a story of grace, of mercy, of compassion. It's a story of unconditional love. It's a story of covenant love. It's a story of of giving where it's not deserved. And, And it's an amazing story. And on the cross, a thousand years after this, Jesus would make it fully evident. He would make these things fully evident. Grace, mercy, compassion. He would show these things to us in a very vivid way. He did what we could never do by living a sinless life, and he paid the price we could never pay with his own life. So he took our sin, he bore our punishment, he bore our shame and our guilt, and he gave us his righteousness. This is a sovereign God who sovereignly chose to do this. An all-powerful God who chose to do this, who chose to become a man, who chose to be born of a virgin, who chose to live a sinless life, who chose to die and take our sin, who chose to give up the privileges that he had for that window of time so that we might enjoy them forever. And that's God's grace, mercy, and compassion that fully complement His sovereignty, His justice, and His power. If we come and, and we begin to look at that, there are many instances where, where you see um, this pray out, but, but we, we often forget these things. We forget about the grace of God or the compassion of God or the mercy of God or we just don't think other people deserve it and and sometimes we do sometimes we've been offended we've been hurt we've been wronged and rather than extend this love this unconditional love we respond in a different way For instance, in Jonah 4.2, it says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. 
For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah, at the beginning of the story, he says, I want you to go, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And instead, he went the opposite way to Tarshish. And, you know, we all think Jonah, what an idiot, right? I mean, look, Jonah did what all of us in this room would do. You got to understand, the Ninevites, they skinned people alive and stacked their skulls up at the city gate. They weren't pretty people. They were bad dudes. And Jonah probably had friends and family members that had suffered that. So he had great, great motivation to do this. And, and then afterwards, you know, God doesn't let him do it. You know the story, he gets swallowed by the great fish. He spends three days in the belly of the fish. Then he gets vomited up on the shore, which had to be very unpleasant. Um, and, and then he smelled like fish guts for a while. And then he goes into Nineveh, probably still smelling like fish guts, and does what God tells him to do. And, and his message is very simple. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. I mean, it's like Jonah did what I would do or you would do. He marched around the city for his three days that he was supposed to, or four days, wherever it was, he marches around the city, and basically what we would say, turn or burn, turn or burn, turn or burn, angrily, or maybe sheepishly. I don't know. But that's what he did, because he was not a happy camper. And, and he did it, and then the most amazing thing happened from the king all the way down. They repented. I mean, they fell on their faces before God. Imagine that. Imagine if we walked out today and we walked around the loop and we prayed for the city. And then the city from all the way down fell on their faces before God and repented and turned to him. What would our response be? Well, if they treated us like dirt... And persecuted us, we might think, wow, this is a little bit late, isn't it? And so this is where Jonah is. He's not happy. And he told God, he said, look, I didn't do this because I know you're a God of grace and compassion and mercy. I know this is how you are. I know this is the kind of God you are. This is the interesting thing. Jonah knew it. Naomi didn't. She did not know this. She did not understand this. She did not put this together. And, and that's just the way that it fleshed out in this. And, and Jonah is there. So you go on in the story. I mean, it's down. He builds a booth to get some shade out of the heat. He's sitting back watching the town. What's going to go down here? And then it doesn't go the way that he wants it to go. And then God sends a plant and grows up a plant over him to give him shade. The next day, God sends a worm to eat the plant, which makes him even more angry. And then God even comes and does a little bit worse and says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And by this point, Jonah is like, yes, I am angry enough to die. And it's just funny, isn't it? I mean, do you do well to be angry? Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You can throw that at your kids every now and then. They love it. Do you do well to be angry? 
Stop it, Dad. Stop it. Because we all do that every now and then. You see, this is when we don't understand and we forget about the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. You see, Ruth is going to clearly show us, in contrast to Naomi, she's going to clearly show us unconditional love. She's going to show hesed. She's going to show this covenant love. She's going to show it in extremely difficult circumstances. She has given greatly to do this. She's going to love. She's going to love Naomi expecting nothing in return. Look, Naomi's got nothing to give to her. She's got nothing. Nothing. Zip. Zero. The only thing Naomi has is a God that she's drawn to. That's it. Ruth has left everything. She left her family. She left her friends. She left her culture. She left everything she knew. And she went to everything unknown. And she went to that knowing that she would probably be rejected and never find a husband. But she did it. Because she loved Naomi. She loved her. It's like we talked about sending school supplies to Liberia. Look, you bring a bag of school supplies to the church in the next couple of weeks, you're not really expecting to get anything in return, are you? No. You're never going to see these children, most likely. You will maybe see a little video or something they make at the schools that Dave and Trudy make, and the kids, you know, saying thank you for whatever. But um, really, we don't stand to gain from that. And we don't do it because we stand to gain. We do it because we love. We do it because we love. And we love because God showed us love. He showed us his love. So that's, that's kind of the why. This is this unconditional love thing. Boaz, he's going to come into the story next week, and he's going to extend unconditional love to Ruth and Naomi. He has nothing to gain here, but he extends love to Naomi and to Ruth. And then... Out of this love that he extends to Ruth, a child will be born. And this child will be named Obed. And Obed will be the father of Jesse. And Jesse will be the father of King David. And then we'll go down a few more generations. And as we see in the lineage of Jesus, a Moabite, who at one time was excluded from the people of Israel, become an integral part of their history. Not only would she be accepted, she would be revered. She would be written in the lineage of Christ. And then it will go down, and then Mary will become the mother of Jesus. Born of the Spirit of God. The Savior of the world. You see, the world sees unconditional love through the story of Ruth, but also through the fruit of her love. We see God's unconditional love in God's perfect plan of redemption offered freely to us through Jesus. You see, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. 
And God is just, but he is also a God of new beginnings. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of unconditional love. And that's the story in Ruth. It's unconditional love. So as we come and we look, we begin the story with funerals. We end it with the celebration. And we move into the second chapter of the story. And as as we move into that, we're going to see some things unfold. But as, as we come in and we begin to see, it's the thing of understanding that God is a God of unconditional love. He loves us unconditionally, not because we can give to him, but because he's a God who gives. Not because God desires us to give him something. He desires that we receive his love and that we know him and that as we understand that love that worship towards him flows out of us because he alone is worthy of that he alone is worthy of our adoration he alone is worthy of our everything and it comes when we understand this love of God and why it is that it's there let's pray father we praise you today for your unconditional love, for the blessings that you have poured out so richly upon us. Father, we pray that you would help us to have a balanced view of you. Father, a view that's always filtered through Jesus in the love that he has for us, in the love that he showed to us when he bore our sin and shame and offered us his righteousness. Father, we pray today that you would strengthen us and prepare us for the things that we face this week and help us, Lord, to share the love of Christ with the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.